So we've had some pretty amazing chairpersons in our time, have we not? Yeah, we certainly have. I'm thinking back to, I guess the doozy of them all was the uh, the defrocked bookmaker. Yes, yes, who um, <clears throat> unfortunately um, received um, an email from a developer saying, talking about defects, and in his reply, unfortunately, hit reply all. So actually informed all the committee members. What he was, he was up making, to. Yeah, <laughs> that he was, he was getting kickbacks from the developer. So, um, yes. So we're going to be talking about whether retired business people are the best people to have on your committee. Oh, that should be interesting. Well, let's hope so. And um, we'll be talking about a suggestion that Airbnb could be used to fill the gap. Not literally where houses have burned out in bushfire areas. We'll also be looking at a post we got about the cost of enforcing your bylaws. I'm Jimmy Thompson. And I'm Sue Williams. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. My column this week in the Australian Financial Review is about whether or not retired business people make the best committee members. That's pretty interesting. Um, The thing is, I think one tends to think about a stereotype of retired business people. I was talking to a retired business person the other day who's 25 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And he founded an enormously successful technology company and he's now retired and travelling the world. Wow. Uh, we don't. You don't want. Hit, you don't. He's not going to live in our flats anyway. So that's <laughs> not. I'm thinking of the these days. It's the over fifty fives. You know who've done their dash. They've made their money in business. Uh, they might be downsizers from having lived in a big house. They come into the the apartment block. They're retired, so they've got lots of time. Uh, they're business experienced. They know how to run a meeting. Some of them. Some of them do. <laughs> Um, they sound like the ideal people to, to be on your committee, but they often turn out to be the opposite. Yes, it's really hard, isn't it? Because they do have a lot of time and they often have a lot of experience in the business world, which can stand them in extremely good stead. But at the same time, they can kind of be a little bit stuck in their own ways. Mm. When they've come from a house, they're not really terribly community-minded. Mm. So they're not really very used to strata. So they start seeing strata through a prism of their own experience in their own house and try to replicate that experience. And sometimes it's just not always appropriate. And also they try and replicate their business. I mean, how many times in business do you hear somebody say, this is not a democracy? <laughs> <laughs> Your boss will say this is not a democracy, and which it, it isn't. You know, it's a hierarchy. But Strata is a democracy, or it should be. Yeah, and it's hard. We had um, a businessman once who chaired one of our Strata committees, and he was kind of quite an anal timekeeper. Right. So every single item on the agenda, he would say, "We have three minutes for this item, two and a half minutes for this item." And it certainly made the meetings go extremely quickly, but by the end, everybody was very angry and right. annoyed and frustrated that they hadn't had time to have their say. Yeah. So sometimes business methods don't really apply very well to, to people talking about how their own homes should be run. And then you've also got the thing of the chairperson or who, the secretary or whoever's actually running the, the strata committee 
who is used to their ideas being the only ones that are considered and take any alternative ideas as a personal challenge. You oh, know, that's true too. Yeah. You know, it's like my way or the highway kind of stuff. And and it, it comes back to this idea of um, strata is is a democracy and often business isn't. Mm. I mean, I've often hear people saying, you know, we're going to run this like a business. And you say, no, you can run it in a business-like manner in terms of you send out the paperwork when it has to go out, you you do your communications, you pay your bills, etc., etc. But that's a big difference between being business-like and running something like a business where all you're concerned about is profit and loss and And user pays. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in Strata, we all pay for things like the pool and the gym. We don't actually pay each time we use them. But yeah. some people can get really hung up on this user pays idea. And, and that's always a disaster as well. Yeah. And then there's also the question of relevance deprivation. <laughs> yes. Yes. You that know, comes in quite strongly, I think, at yeah, times. Yeah. You know, people are, they haven't made the adjustment from not having a job anymore. And uh, so suddenly their apartment block, your apartment block, becomes their hobby farm, which is Mm, pretty much how it it runs, you know, that um, they devote a lot of time and a lot of energy. And, you know, we're sounding very cynical and ungrateful here, but people are devoting, volunteering, putting their own time and energy into trying to make the building a better place, even if what they're doing isn't always the right thing. And they feel disappointed and let down when people say, well, no, we don't want you to do it like that. Mm. You're going, look, I'm putting all this time in here. Why aren't you more grateful? And the answer is, well, maybe we don't want what you're doing. Yeah, and the trouble is once they build their own fiefdom, they're often really reluctant to let go. I mean, we've had chair people who um, have been in the same position for 20 years and they're, they're kind of melded on, really. And it's very hard for young people coming through to actually kind of move them a little bit aside. I mean, you know, it, it might be nice to have a chairperson there for maybe three or four years for some kind of continuity, especially if you're going through a difficult time with defects. Mm. But then it's kind of good for them to maybe stand aside, perhaps just become a regular committee member. Even, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that they can offer advice and help. But they kind of move aside for other people to take the reins. I mean, one of the things I, I believe is absolutely essential in a building is you set up subcommittees and they comprise committee members and non-committee members who have special skills. And then the committee member reports back to the committee. And I remember our chairman saying, they're a waste of time, waste of time, you know. And, and they're not, because apart from anything else, they introduce other people in the community to the committee so that they're ready to step up the next time there's a vacancy. Yeah, and involve them and... Yeah, and make them feel part of the community. And so I think subcommittees are great because they they introduce people into the system. And they they also bring in, in a building with 150 apartments in it, you choose nine people. How likely is it that you're making the use of all the skills that are available in the building? Yeah, someone may be an expert in a certain area and want to advise on that area but not be interested in the whole strata thing. So it's a good way of involving them and making use of their expertise. Yeah, and if you've got the the relevance-deprived former business person at the top of things, then a lot of, especially younger people, just don't want to be in a committee where they're being shouted at and told what to do and, and ignored. 
Mm. You know, they get plenty of that at work. So <laughs> why, why would they do it when they come home? Yeah, and that's hard because a retired business person might have been at the top of his or her profession. So when they've got young people coming into a strata committee, um, they can sometimes treat them with ill-disguised contempt mm. <laughs> because of their lack of experience, which, I mean, strata is all about egalitarianism, really, because well, we're all be. on an equal footing. Yeah. Mm. So um, that's a real problem. And it also kind of hinders the diversity, I think, of the strata committee if you've got a chairperson in charge who is a retired business person who and who may bring all the friends or people they've worked with in the past who might live in the building on the mm. side. The best strata committees are always those which you know reflect the community that they represent. They might be some young people, some older people, somebody who has a family, somebody who's a single person, um, somebody... A tenant. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you always kind of want a cross-section of skills as well. I mean, it's always fantastic to have an engineer on a strata committee because he or she really knows what they're doing when you're talking about the structure of a building. And it's great to have an accountant as a treasurer mm. and uh, maybe even somebody who works in design when you're talking about you know, refurbishing the foyer or something. Mm. Um, and it's nice to have someone who's happy to be an administrator who's really well organised and likes keeping records and doing the minutes and things. But you you do want a cross-section of people. You don't want people all of the same ilk. No. I've just been reminded of early in the, the history of Flat Chat, we, somebody wrote to us about their chairman who was an autocratic despot <laughs> and, you know, nothing ever got done that they didn't want done and nothing was ever discussed they never want discussed and they were tearing their hair out, you know, because this person, this is in the days where you turned up at the, the uh, AGM with a bucket full of proxies from, you know, invested investment owners or uninterested owners and uh, got yourself and your cronies uh, re-elected every year. And they couldn't work out what they could do to get rid of this guy. And so they checked into his background and discovered he was a tenant. Oh, really? <laughs> and he had just nominated himself from the committee about, you know, 10, 15 years previously. And no one had ever checked. No one had ever checked. And, and everybody assumed he must be an owner until they, they found out that he didn't actually own the flat <laughs> he was in. And because he was nominating himself, then, you know, he, he was invalid. And that was him gone. Wow. I think they had a party. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to get fresh blood in because you, you, you sometimes want fresh ideas and a bit of lateral thought. Mm. And I think when somebody's been doing it in a certain way for a certain amount of time and, and they might be you know new to strata, they may not be thinking in those pro proactive ways about how to improve a building. Right. They're perhaps thinking about how to run a building efficiently. And you know the difficulty with people who are retired, perhaps, is that they want to keep um, strata levies at an absolute oh, minimum. that's it, because they're on a fixed income. Yes, that's right. So so they may not be interested in improving anything, even though the value of a building as a result might go up disproportionately. Yeah, but they don't see the, the value of their apartment. It's not a concern to them because they're not planning to sell mm, any time right. soon. You know, They'll sell when they're taken out in a box kind of thing. Mm. So, uh, yeah, all those arguments about the economics of keeping your building well-maintained just don't cut the mustard with them at all. So yeah. there are pros and cons, I guess, aren't there, really? The people that you want on your committees are usually too busy making the money to pay their mortgages mm -hmm. to want to come home and do more meetings and things like that. 
I think the retired business person has a lot of value, but I think they have to be kept in check mm. or they will become autocratic very, very quickly. And then it all becomes about them hanging on to power. And it's important to get the best strata committee you possibly can. Yeah. Mm. So I think it has to be a change. I mean, you talk to strata managers, they say, you know, you say, well, how about having a time limit on, you know, the number of years somebody can be in the chair or its secretary or whatever. And strata managers say, and you just burn all that experience. You know, every three years you change over and they as strata managers are going, we have to train a completely new set of idiots uh, to replace the, <laughs> the other ones. So that doesn't really work. I think, and, and then there's the thing about paying, the, should you pay your strata committee members? And I think in buildings, big buildings, you know, and defined in New South Wales as over 100, they should be paid provided they undertake a training course on strata committees. So provided they undertake training and renew that, you know, refresher courses every couple of years, yeah, sure, they should be paid, you know, a kind of a little bit more than a token because they are giving up their time. But that comes with it, uh, extra responsibility to, to act responsibly and properly and obey the law. Mm. And uh, that could sort out a few sheep from goats. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about Airbnb and is it the answer to the missing houses in the bushfire areas? That's after this. So Jimmy, how can Airbnb be the answer to the bushfire crisis? Well, as we saw spectacularly on the news, that whole houses were destroyed. And these people, particularly in small towns that were badly hit, these people, these families are having to look at maybe move out of the area to find housing that they can afford. And that means the kids have to find a new school, they have to find new friends, they, you know, their whole infrastructure at the worst possible times in their lives you know, it's totally disrupted. And there have been warnings that some of these country towns might even die because people are having to go to the city to find accommodation. Yeah. So uh, there's a woman called Anna Porter who uh, has a company and a website called Suburbanite. And they are basically property investment advisors. Uh, they, you know, you go on the website and they tell you where's the best place to buy an investment property and how to manage it, et cetera, et cetera. And she's come up with this idea that Airbnb hosts should be encouraged to put their properties back to residential lets. Now, the difference between the rent they get on Airbnb and stays in these other uh, holiday letting agencies and what they get from residential, normal residential rent. I, I went online and just compared Airbnb rents in Bega mm. with uh, rental properties on domain, normal residential rent. And it's hard to compare like for like, but the Airbnb were about double. Now, what she'd suggested was that Airbnb could be encouraged, the company could be encouraged to reduce their commission uh, to make the difference a bit easier for the host to stomach. The commission really, it's capped at about 20%. So you're still looking at you know, an 80% difference, and it's not enough. But she's also suggested that the government could step in and make up the difference. And maybe the 
the Airbnb operators would be happy to make a little bit less money because they're making contribution back to community. I think, to be fair, a lot of people in the country who've been running Airbnbs have made their homes available, partly because then the amount of tourists wanting to come here has dropped dramatically. So the tourists aren't coming into these areas and the houses are sitting empty anyway, so so they should be used. And actually, I'm not sure if I think the Airbnb people should be compensated, really. <laughs> but it's a good idea using Fundamentally, places, it's a good it, idea. Really? Yeah. yeah, and it would be great for those people to have options of where to stay. Absolutely. And... Um, you know, and, and anything that puts Airbnb properties back into the residential letting pool is a good thing. And at the same time, we've had a story that Airbnb has gone from a $200 million profit in 2018 to a $350 million loss in the first three months of 2019. Wow. And is so that that's because a of half more... a billion dollar turnaround is that because of more restrictions on them it's a combination it seems to be from the the reports in the wall street journal and forbes magazine it's a combination of they are upgrading their technology they're spending more on marketing and they are spending a lot more on legal costs as well because they've been fighting a lot of legal battles and political battles so I think before we start dancing in the street that Airbnb are losing money, I think we've got to realise they've got a stock market launch coming up and uh, I think they're just getting themselves stronger. They will come back stronger. They're, they're, if they're spending money on marketing and spending money on their technology, they are going to come back stronger for sure. Okay, well that's food for thought, isn't it really? Absolutely, yeah. We'll see what happens. It's an ever-changing landscape. After this, we're going to look at the costs of um, enforcing your bylaws and whether it's something you might not actually want to do when somebody breaches them. That's after this. This story is about the most expensive timber floor in the world, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, we've been had a, we've had a. a discussion going. I think it started with somebody who saw an ad for an apartment in their building uh, online and realized that the apartment had timber floor that it wasn't supposed to have. Oh, right. And they were concerned that if somebody else bought it, then the owner's corporation would become responsible for the floor because they hadn't put a bylaw through. And and that all sorted itself out. But then today uh, we got a post from somebody saying, look, somebody came into our building, decided they wanted to put her down a timber floor. We said, okay, you can do that, but it has to be this type of flooring, this type of insulation, etc., etc." And the person said, no, I'm going to do, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I'm not, I'm just going to ignore all your restrictions because I think they're stupid and unreasonable. So they put in sort of minimum standard stuff, started driving the people downstairs nuts with all the noise from walking around. And obviously, being the kind of people they were, they didn't care who suffered as a consequence of them putting down what they wanted to do. And so this person written to us and said they employed a lawyer and they said the lawyer was really good and they went to NCAT and then they didn't get a satisfactory response at NCAT 
And then the lawyer said, well, this is going to charge twice as much as you've already paid to pursue this. And so then they basically said to the lawyer, we can't afford to keep using you. We'll run the case on our own. And they were saying, unless you're prepared to spend $40,000 or sacrifice six to nine months of sleepless nights and weekends and, you know, running the case yourself, sometimes it's easier just to let people do the wrong thing. Wow, that's, we've got to a sorry state where that's happening, haven't we really? Well, I think it's part, it feels like the bad old days of the C triple T. Yeah, you'd think if you have bylaws and somebody comes in and says, stuff your bylaws, I'm going to do what I want, that NCAT would say, hey, the bylaws were there, you saw the bylaws. Strata law exists as if you were in the room when it was being written. So you'd think they'd go, you saw the bylaws, you saw strata law, it's all there. If you didn't see it, that's your fault. People tell you all the time you've got to look at these things. So don't come in here and say, oh, they don't apply to me, or I didn't realise what the implications were. Just deal with it. And that's what you, how you'd hope NCAT or any other tribunal would work. But they don't. You get some retired solicitor who's never set foot in an apartment going, oh, this seems a bit unreasonable, all these restrictions on all these poor people who want to put down a nice shiny floor. You, you know, you shouldn't have to relitigate every decision that's been made that's already been decided by the community that they, if you're going to put a timber floor in, it's got to have maximum sound insulation. So... That's all in the Flat Chat Forum, if you want to catch up with that. Thanks very much, Sue, for coming back and talking to us. Great to be here, Jimmy. <laughs> and we'll talk to you again soon, before you fly off to some other exotic location. And thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, and would you still be listening if you didn't, you can subscribe free of charge on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and lots of other podcast platforms. As I said, it's free of charge, and that means the podcast will be delivered directly to your phone, laptop, or computer as soon as it's published. You'll find links at the end of the show notes, that's the related story, on the Flat Chat website. And the website is where you go to find the stories we've been discussing today, as well as about 10 years of archives and, of course, your questions and answers on the Flat Chat Forum. Just log in to flat-chat.com.au to ask a question or, even better, answer someone else's. Okay, thanks for listening. Talk to you again soon.